Chapters forty eight to fifty four of Tristram Shandy, Volume four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Peary. The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy, Gentlemen, Volume four. Last volume by Lawrence Stern. Chapter forty eight. I am half distracted, Captain Shandy, said Mrs. Wadman, holding up her cambric handkerchief to her left eye, as she approached the door of my uncle Toby's sentry-box. A moat, or sand, or something, I know not what, has got into this eye of mine. Do look into it. It is not in the white. In saying which, Mrs. Wadman edged herself close in beside my uncle Toby, and squeezing herself down upon the corner of his bench, she gave him an opportunity of doing it without rising up. Do look into it, said she. Honest soul, thou didst look into it with as much innocency of heart as every child looked into a rarey show-box, and twere as much a sin to have hurt thee. If a man will be peeping of his own accord into things of that nature, I've nothing to say to it. My uncle Toby never did, and I will answer for him that he would have sat quietly upon a sofa from June to January, which you know takes in both the hot and cold months, with an eye as fine as the Thracian Rhodopes, Rhodope Thracia tam inevitabili, Thascino instructa tam exacta oculus intuens attraxit, ut si in illem quis incadisit, fieri non posit quin caparator, I know not who. Besides him, without being able to tell whether it was a black or a blue one. The difficulty was to get my uncle Toby to look at one at all. Tis surmounted, and I see him yonder with his pipe pendulous in his hand and the ashes falling out of it, looking and looking, then rubbing his eyes and looking again with twice the good nature that ever Galileo looked for a spot in the sun. In vain, for by all the powers which animate the organ, Widow Wadman's left eye shines this moment as lucid as her right. There is neither moat or sand or dust or chaff or speck or particle of opaque matter floating in it. There is nothing, my dear paternal uncle, but one lambent delicious fire, furtively shooting out from every part of it in all directions into thine. If thou lookest, Uncle Toby, in search of this moat one moment longer, thou art undone. Chapter 49 An eye is for all the world exactly like a cannon in this respect, that it is not so much the eye or the cannon in themselves as it is the carriage of the eye and the carriage of the cannon, by which both the one and the other are enabled to do so much execution. I don't think the comparison is a bad one. However, as tis made and placed at the head of the chapter as much for use as ornament, all I desire in return is that whenever I speak of Mrs. Wadman's eyes, except once in the next period, that you keep it in your fancy. I protest, madam, said my uncle Toby, I can see nothing whatever in your eye. It is not in the white, said Mrs. Wadman. My uncle Toby looked with might and main into the pupil. 
now of all the eyes which ever were created from your own madam up to those of venus herself which certainly were as venereal a pair of eyes as ever stood in a head there never was an eye of them all so fitted to rob my uncle toby of his repose as the very eye at which he was looking it was not madam a rolling eye a romping or a wanton one nor was it an eye sparkling petulant or imperious of high claims and terrifying exactions which would have curdled at once that milk of human nature of which my uncle toby was made up but twas an eye full of gentle salutations and soft responses speaking not like the trumpet-stop of some ill-made organ in which many an eye i talk to holds coarse converse but whispering soft like the last low accent of an expiring saint how can you live comfortless captain shandy and alone without a bosom to lean your head on or trust your cares to it was an eye but i shall be in love with it myself if i say another word about it it did my uncle toby's business chapter fifty there is nothing shows the character of my father and my uncle toby in a more entertaining light than their different manner of deportment under the same accident for i call not love a misfortune from a persuasion that a man's heart is ever the better for it great god what must my uncle toby's have been when twas all benignity without it my father as appears from many of his papers was very subject to this passion before he married but from a little subacid kind of drollish impatience in his nature whenever it befell him he would never submit to it like a christian but would pish and huff and bounce and kick and play the devil and write the bitterest philippics against the eye that ever man wrote there is one in verse upon somebody's eye or other that for two or three nights together had put him by his rest which in his first transport of resentment against it he begins thus a devil tis and mischief such doth work as never yet did pagan jew or turk this will be printed with my father's life of socrates etc etc in short during the whole paroxysm my father was all abuse and foul language approaching rather towards malediction only he did not do it with as much method as ernulphus he was too impetuous nor with ernulphus's policy for though my father with the most intolerant spirit would curse both this and that and everything under heaven which was either aiding or abetting to his love yet never concluded his chapter of curses upon it without cursing himself in at the bargain as one of the most egregious fools and coxcombs he would say that ever was let loose in the world my uncle toby on the contrary took it like a lamb sat still and let the poison work in his veins without resistance in the sharpest exacerbations of his wound like that on his groin he never dropped one fretful or discontented word he blamed neither heaven nor earth or thought or spoke an injurious thing of any body or any part of it he sat solitary and pensive with his pipe looking at his lame leg then whiffing out a sentimental hey-ho which mixing with the smoke incommoded no one mortal he took it like a lamb i say in truth he had mistook it at first 
for having taken a ride with my father that very morning to save if possible a beautiful wood which the dean and chapter were hewing down to give to the poor mr shandy must mean the poor in spirit inasmuch as they divided the money amongst themselves which said wood being in full view of my uncle toby's house and of singular service to him in his description of the battle of winnendale by trotting on too hastily to save it upon an uneasy saddle worse horse etc etc it had so happened that the serous part of the blood had got betwixt the two skins in the nethermost part of my uncle toby the first shootings of which as my uncle toby had no experience of love he had taken for a part of the passion till the blister breaking in the one case and the other remaining my uncle toby was presently convinced that his wound was not a skin-deep wound but that it had gone to his heart chapter fifty one the world is ashamed of being virtuous my uncle toby knew little of the world and therefore when he felt he was in love with widow wadman he had no conception that the thing was any more to be made a mystery of than if mrs wadman had given him a cut with a gaped knife across his finger had it been otherwise yet as he ever looked upon trim as a humble friend and saw fresh reasons every day of his life to treat him as such it would have made no variation in the manner in which he informed him of the affair i am in love corporal quoth my uncle toby chapter fifty two in love said the corporal your honour was very well the day before yesterday when i was telling your honour of the story of the king of bohemia bohemia said my uncle toby musing a long time what became of that story trim we lost it and please your honour somehow betwixt us but your honour was as free from love then as i am twas just whilst thou wentst off with the wheelbarrow with mrs wadman quoth my uncle toby she has left a ball here added my uncle toby pointing to his breast she can no more and please your honour stand a siege than she can fly cried the corporal but as we are neighbours trim the best way i think is to let her know it civilly first quoth my uncle toby now if i might presume said the corporal to differ from your honour why else do i talk to thee trim said my uncle toby mildly then i would begin and please your honour with making a good thundering attack upon her in return and telling her civilly afterwards for if she knows anything of your honour's being in love beforehand lord help her she knows no more at present of it trim said my uncle toby than the child unborn precious souls mrs wadman had told it with all its circumstances to mrs bridget twenty-four hours before and was at that very moment sitting in council with her touching some slight misgivings with regard to the issue of the affairs which the devil who never lies dead in a ditch had put into her head before he would allow half time to get quietly through her te deum i am terribly afraid said widow wadman in case i should marry him bridget that the poor captain will not enjoy his health with the monstrous wound upon his groin it may not madam be so very large replied bridget as you think and i believe besides added she that tis dried up i could like to know merely for his sake 
said Mrs. Wadman. "'We'll know the long and the broad of it in ten days,' answered Mrs. Bridget, "'for whilst the captain is paying his addresses to you, "'I'm confident Mr. Trim will be for making love to me, "'and I'll let him as much as he will,' added Bridget, "'to get it all out of him.' "'The measures were taken at once, "'and my Uncle Toby and the Corporal went on with theirs. "'Now quoth the Corporal, setting his left hand akimbo "'and giving such a flourish with his right "'as just promised success,' and no more, if your honour will give me leave to lay down the plan of this attack. Thou wilt please me by it, Trim, said my uncle Toby, exceedingly, and, as I foresee, thou must act in it as my aide-de-camp. Here's a crown, corporal, to begin with, to steep thy commission. Then, and please your honour, said the corporal, making a bow first for his commission, we will begin with getting your honour's laced clothes out of the great campaign trunk to be well aired, and have the blue and gold taken up at the sleeves, and I'll put your white ramalli wig fresh into pipes, and send for a tailor to have your honour's thin scarlet breeches turned. I had better take the red plush ones, quoth my uncle Toby. They will be too clumsy, said the corporal. Chapter 53 Thou wilt get a brush and a little chalk to my sword. "'Twill be only in your honour's way,' replied Trim. CHAPTER 54 "'But your honour's two razors shall be new set, and I will get my Montero cap furbished up, and put on poor Lieutenant Lefevre's regimental coat, which your honour gave me to wear for his sake. And as soon as your honour is clean-shaved, and has got your clean shirt on, with your blue and gold or your fine scarlet, sometimes one and sometimes t'other, and everything is ready for the attack, we'll march up boldly, as if twas to the face of a bastion, and whilst your honour engages Mrs. Wadman in the parlour to the right, I'll attack Mrs. Bridget in the kitchen to the left, and having seized the pass, I'll answer for it, said the corporal, snapping his fingers over his head, that the day is our own. I wish I may but manage it right, said my uncle Toby, but I declare, corporal, I had rather march up to the very edge of a trench. A woman is quite a different thing, said the corporal. I suppose so, quoth my uncle Toby. End of chapters 48 to 54